I think that the often misunderstood field of organizational development is one of the hardest things to do in the world. And I think that anyone who gets involved in changing organizations from the ground up should be lauded, praised, and raised up. But too often, the skills of the organizational development practitioner are much like the voice of the prophet in the wilderness. And they aren't appreciated in their own times or even in their own lands. Welcome to the show. This is episode five of your bud you. Diane Lang, writer, author, and founder of Proclivity Inc., an OD consulting firm in the Southern Tier, worked for many years in the local Binghamton and Southern Tier area of New York State, trying to bring organizations direction, guidance, and vision during times of great transition. She helped a lot of people get out of their own way, and now she's doing the same thing with her new endeavors and pursuits. Look, I called on Diane as I was beginning to build my project here in the Southern Tier, of which this podcast is a part, and I hope that her sage advice can rub off on you the same way it rubbed off on me. Emotions in the workplace are wonderful, right? And emotions in general create wonderful energy. They lead us to create great works of art and to dream about the world as we would like it to be versus how it actually is. Emotions put us in motion and allow us to deal with all kinds of things, such as setbacks and disappointments, without totally and completely giving up the ghost. We recognize when people are not experiencing the right quote-unquote emotions, and we put them in a place where they are forced, through our emotional cueing, to either conform or be removed from the tribe. Emotional responses such as anger, rage, apathy, sadness, happiness, joy, satisfaction, and other emotional responses are evidenced in conflicts both at home and in the workplace, and can cause more problems than the initial conflict even contained. And now, a bit of the usual stuff. You can connect with Earbud U on Twitter, at Earbud underscore U. You can also check us out on Instagram. We tweet and post images on both of those social platforms with the hashtag, be part of the show. We're part of our parent company, as we mentioned before, Human Services Consulting and Training, HSCT, out of Endicott, New York. So, Check out the HSCT website at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. As for Diane Lang, well, she's on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Diane Lang. And please take time to connect with her professionally on LinkedIn for all of your organizational development and leadership development needs. Now, let's get into it. Welcome to Earbud U, episode number five. Get your knowledge on through your earbuds. Our special guest for our show today is Diane Lang, owner and founder of Proclivity Inc., the Southern Tier of New York, in the Southern Tier of New York. Um, one of the best organizational consultants, one of the longest running organizational consultants and corporate trainers in the Southern Tier of New York. Diane is an accomplished and passionate speaker, trainer, researcher, and thought leader, as well as the author of a chapter <laughs> in the book, Self-Directed Leadership. Um, which is apparently having a version 2.0 coming out here uh, very soon, um, and so Diane will talk a little bit, um, a little bit about that. Welcome to Earbud You, Diane. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm good, thanks. Excellent, very good. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. You know, it's uh, it is a rainy day here in the Southern Tier, but uh, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna let that stop us. <laughs> Absolutely not, because if we stopped every time we had bad weather, we wouldn't do a thing. Uh, there you go. <laughs> exactly. 
So, um, so let's get to, let's get into the interview here a little bit. Let's get into some of the questions. Um, I always ask my guests, sort of, you know, what is it they do, and kind of give them an opportunity to introduce themselves to my listeners. So, what is it that you do exactly? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, by training, I'm a leadership coach. I uh, am actually a product of the George Washington University Organizational Sciences Master's Program for coaching in organizational uh, leadership. So I'm a certified leadership coach from GW. I am almost a doctor of education in organizational communication and leadership from Northeastern. I'm working on my dissertation. And that is how self-directed leadership came about, which is a program that I put together to help people on their leadership journey a lot of people are unclear about what it means to be a leader. Some people think it's only title. It is not. It's a lot more than title. And so self-directed leadership is a compilation of all the information that I've studied through the years. Uh, and I put together an action plan, a step-by-step, if you will, for people to become the best leader they can I, so I'm a leadership coach. I'm an organizational consultant. Yeah, to answer your question, I'm an organizational consultant. I consult with organizations and people uh, individually, either either and both. And I help organizations set up initiatives for things like change, um, leadership initiatives. I do training. I do mediation. Uh, and, and certainly the coaching. And I do group coaching as well as individual coaching. Group coaching as well as individual coaching. Awesome. Well, talk, us, talk to us a little bit about that. You know, the, the individual coaching obviously is different than group coaching. So what, what kind of differences do you notice navigating between sort of the individual coaching space and the group coaching space? I like both of them a lot. Um, individual coaching is all about that person. It's very, it's very pointed at them, you know. I mean, just the work that they want to work on. Sometimes people are mandated to come to me, and that's not always the best situation, as you can mm-hmm. imagine. I mean, people have said to me before, I didn't want to come here. But every single person who's been mandated to come to see me has always walked out of there and said, you know what, this is really good. I, I really appreciate the time that you've taken. So anyone who wants to really hone their skills, and they get intensive one-on-one. That's what leadership uh, individual coaching is all about. And group coaching is a great dynamic. What I've done is usually I do horizontal peer group coaching, for example, all managers on a certain group in an organization or in a division or department. And we sit around and we'll either – we. I usually bring in a topic to discuss, like discipline or conflict, mediation or performance, whatever it might be, and then we talk about it. They all have issues around it, and then they'll bring up things that are on their mind, and we have a lot of great conversations, interaction between the two. They learn from each other as well as me, and that's what makes it so rich. Right, it also, right. It also improves communication horizontally in an organization, and anytime you do that, the organization functions better. 
Now, talk to me about that horizontal horizontal communication because um, I know from work as a as a conflict engagement you know consultant as, and a person working specifically in the conflict space. Conflict happens at all levels in the organization, um, and it happens at all times in the organization. However, there may be a perception among higher individuals higher in the pecking order in the organization that those lower in the pecking order, either those um, those kind of conflicts that are occurring aren't are minimal and not worth worth dealing with, or they're among the horizontal folks. So why do I have to go engage with? Why do I have to show up and be engaged with this process? So how do you how do you navigate sort of the horizontal? Let's say just let's pick a layer of the organization at the administrative assistant, you know, type of conflict level versus the horizontal. Let's say the C-suite level, um, and, and and then how do you get those two to to chat, <laughs> you know, because that's that's the real struggle, right? Is closing that gap, closing that chasm, um, particularly if once you've got the the horizontal conflicts leveled out, then you're talking about the vertical conflicts. Well, you know, communication is probably the biggest challenge any organization has, and usually horizontal communication is pretty good, you know, because a lot of times people will work, talk to their coworkers and. They'll tell them what's going on and look for support or there's, you know, there's just a lot horizontally. And, however, it's not always good conversation. <laughs> um, so the idea of group coaching horizontally increases the amount of knowledge. And it also, um, one of the things that I found throughout doing years of group coaching now is, that say there's two different units in a, under a, uh, in a division, mm-hmm. and they each have a different manager. Well, this one does something different with absenteeism, say, than this one. Or this one doesn't care about smoke breaks, and this one does, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. People get very petty about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's their time, right? So uh, what we do in terms of group coaching is we get everyone on the same page. We have all of them talking to one another because what happens is employees are really good about playing mom against dad. Right. They don't have to do that in that unit, and they can do this over here. And so when I get horizontal management on one page, they all work together. They're a unified force. They can't be divided. And then everybody gets treated equally. And that's essential. You know, fairness is, is really essential. Yeah. So you got the horizontal thing going, but the biggest challenge in any organization is up and down. It's mm-hmm. communication, as you implied. Right. And so you stated. So how do you get that going? Well, a lot of it is cultural. I mean, sometimes some organizations don't believe these people need to know what's going on at this level. <laughs> so what do you do with that? Right. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate that? Yeah. I, I mean, if that's what the organization believes and that's what they want to do, there's usually not any consultant that can go in and change that culture. However, right. I will say this is one of the things I, I tell management all the time, and I also coach on the executive level. So one of the things I do share is that you should always tell your employees what you know that you can share as soon as you know it. Mm-hmm. Because they somehow know there's a, right, right, yeah, they do, yeah. There's always leaks, and if no one comes out and tells them from a management level what's going on, you know what they do. Oh yeah, they 
Well, they they fill it in with rumor, right? Right. Yeah, gossip, rumor, innuendo. I mean, all kinds of different speculation. Yeah. And and usually the rumor is more harmful than the truth. Oh well, of course. You know, it's it's the old Nixon line, right? You know, the cover up is worse than the crime. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So. Okay. The 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 vertical communication and the other thing is how deep an organization is is uh, you know the deeper it goes the more difficult that up and down communication is mm-hmm. so that's really really hard to overcome you know, direct line down here a customer service person on the floor ever see the CEO eh, probably not the president eh. Vice President, eh, who knows? Right. right. And so a lot of times those things come through emails, postings, you know, whatever. And I, another thing I tell management that I work with, especially companies that have uh, 24-7 shifts, mm-hmm. o'clock, you have got to communicate the same consistent message in as many ways as you know how. Verbally, in a notebook that anybody can look at in the unit, Email, posters, you name it. Right. Because, excuse me, not everyone is going to see whatever it is that you think they're seeing. And if you only do one way, you're going to miss percentage of your staff. Yep. Well, and how do you – okay, well, let's talk about that, you know, because we have a generational – I call it a I call it a, an evolution. Uh, other organizations organizations may call it an earthquake, but we have a generational sort of evolution happening right now, where you have three generations in the workplace. You have um, your traditional baby boomer generation that's retiring out. Some of them are staying because they have to post two thousand eight, but the majority of them are going to retire. I mean, by the the number that I always hit for organizations when I talk to them is twenty twenty five. 2025 is the magic number because by 2025, you know, the, the, the vast majority of the 60 million baby boomers will be gone. They'll be gone. They'll be resting in Florida or doing something else. <laughs> you know? um, maybe not resting in Florida. Maybe they'll be on, they'll be like my mother. They'll be on motorcycles riding around the country. You know, who knows? Um, <laughs> um, they will have made those choices. Um, the, the Gen Xers who are that magic generation that everybody forgets about between the ages of who are currently, you know, in the in, in their forties and getting ready to go into their fifties, will just start hitting their their peak earning power. And I think the last statistic I saw was that there were somewhere between twenty and thirty million of them. Um, and they're the ones that, that went in initially in the late nineties and in the mid nineties and had had the real ground level battles with the um, with the baby boomers. And then you've got you got the millennials, right? Everybody markets to the millennials. Everybody's consumed with the millennials. The millennials, the millennials, how are we going to get the millennials? How are we going to bring them in, right, from a marketing perspective anyway they are? But from an employer perspective, it's how do we talk to these people when we don't understand and they're coming in asking for, you know, they want they want free Skype time. You know, they want to be able to, you know, tweet anytime they want to. They want to be – and this is, of course, the, the, the generalized sort of stereotype um, – but there's 80 million of them, and you can't deny demography. You can't deny numbers. With those shifts happening, are you noticing in organizations, and that generational shift is in essence a disruption, are you noticing in organizations that vertical conversation becoming more collapsed, or are you noticing them just sort of trying to calcify 
and trying to really just sit there and go, hey, we're not going to change because those millennials, they're not going to do anything to us, <laughs> you know, by 2025. We'll be fine. And all that stuff is just a fad. It's like the Internet. It's, it's going to go away eventually, you know. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing in your experience as you work with organizational cultures? Because you said it's very tough to change it, but I wonder if demography is a flood that will just wash all that away. Well, you know, I see a couple different things happening, and some of it is industry-specific. Okay. In other words, I've worked in healthcare. Well, you know, you cannot have someone who's at the bedside of a critically ill person who's more involved in their uh, Skype or, I mean, their texting than they're working. That's not going right. to change, Hassan. That cannot change. I mean, right. if you're sick and you're in a hospital and someone comes in and they pull out their cell phone, can't have it. First of all, you can't have it for privacy issues right? because of the phones uh, having uh, cameras. And second of all, that's not good customer service. Right. right? So uh, now let's change industries and go to bank tellers. Same thing. You want, you want a teller who's talking to you or maybe a mortgage broker or someone that in the bank and you're trying to get a loan from and they go, oh, sorry, got to get this tax. You know, the bank isn't going to like that, and the company is going to like it. Well, I, I, I would tell you the other day I was um, I was at a local bank. I won't name which bank it is, but I was at a local bank where I do some 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 banking, and I I drove through the the drive through and I dealt with the teller, and as I was driving out of the drive through, um, I looked back. I happened to look back, and she was on her phone. You know, there was nobody else behind me. She was on her phone, and she's in that demo. And I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, she's on her phone. Oh, okay. You know, and it didn't bother me, you know. <laughs> now, would it have bothered a different kind of customer with a different sort of mindset? Absolutely. Would that have been a customer engagement issue? Absolutely. I could see that. But I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm the, the leading edge of that wave of it not bothering me. I think I'm behind the edge, actually, of it not bothering me. Well, I think it didn't bother you because your interaction with that person was over. Right. Okay. Or in the middle of your interaction, you probably wouldn't have wanted her on the phone because would she make a mistake with your money? Is she right? I so because the interaction was over, I think it was probably okay with you. Had it been during your interaction, I think I don't care who it is. I think they may not like it. I mean, even young people I have heard say, you know, like say they're a checkout at the local pharmacy. And someone's checking out and on the phone at the same time, they, the person who's working behind the counter doesn't like that. Right. You know? So I think, um, I think in terms of customer service, if the person is going to be dealing with the public, I think there's going to be very rigid rules about that. And I think actually many, many organizations have already addressed them. Mm -hmm. Some organizations that say when you walk in the door, and I don't care how, how old you are, whether you're 65 or you're 15, your cell phone goes in your locker. Um, and then there are other organizations that are more lax. And I think, you know, say you're working in a call center and no one sees you, pick up a text. Yeah, sure. Nobody's, even though you may be talking to someone, if they're not seeing you, that may be okay. So I think industry has a lot to do with it. The other thing I see is sometimes in terms of uh, demographics, demographics are, in fact, calling the shots. Let me give you an example. Okay. In healthcare, 
we have, or healthcare people have always recruited physicians with the expectation that they'd be working nights, weekends, and on call. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's happening now that we see from young physicians is say, uh, I'm not taking weekends, or I'm not right. on call, or I'm not doing, I'll do one, but I won't do both, or right. whatever it is. So, and, you know, the reason why they can get away with it is because there aren't enough of them. Right. If, there were ba- if they were baby boomers in the numbers, and there were so many of them we could pick from anyone and still have a great position, no, they couldn't do that. But because there aren't enough of them and people need them, they're going to give them what they want. So, right. you know, it it it's kind of, I think it comes down to industry. I think it comes down to the demand of the field. And and then, of course, what the generation wants. So, I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's, it's all shaken out. That I can tell you. <laughs> right. I mean, one part of the work that I do is, is, you know, around that social communication piece because a lot of organizations – they are they they are really really I, I think well not I think I, I've noticed in my work really really focused on sort of um, closing down the leaks <laughs> um, and really playing defense against all these technologies that are constantly disrupting and constantly on the offense. Um, you know, Google Glass is another example of a technology that yeah looks goofy now. Who's to say ten years from now? You know, not only will surgeons not be using Google Glass, but people will be walking down the street, you know, Facebooking and tweeting and doing all these other things in addition to everything else. And when you walk into a Neiman Marcus, not to name a giant brand, but a Neiman Marcus, or you're in a customer service um, uh, spot at the teller, that the teller is got the Google Glasses on or whatever version of that it will be. And she's texting and tweeting on, on the left eye while at the same time she's looking at your money on the right eye. You know, who's to say that that won't happen? There's there's so much disruption going on, particularly in the Internet of Things. I, I wonder I wonder if, if organizations and, and, and industries, even industry-specific organizations, are sort of fighting a, a defensive rear guard action <laughs> that they really can't win. You know, and I, like I said, I do a lot of work in that. I do a lot of work in that conflict space because those are conflicts, um, and they are going to create real physiological, psychological, and emotional responses that have to be have to be addressed and have to be dealt with. The other thing I do know also is that as these younger people uh, get married, have children, get a mortgage, <laughs> <laughs> um, those things are going to change for them. Right. You know, and maybe they won't be able to afford the latest technology and maybe the demands of the job are going to take precedence over the demands of their technology, you know, because they've got bills to pay. Right. Right. It's going to be interesting. I mean, technology is dictating just about everything. Right. Well, let's and let's switch to let's well, let's talk about, you know, sort of sort of how do you talk? How do you get that message out and, and, and the dictation of that message? Uh, let's talk about your, the chapter that you wrote in the book, Self-Directed Leadership. You know, let's talk about that. Um, how did that sort of come together? Because I'm a person who, you know, you I mean, you know, you, you've looked at my blog and you, you follow the kind of the stuff that I do. Um, you know, I'm a big content guy. And I think I think content is the gold mine of the 21st century. I really do. I think it's a never-ending gold mine. Um, how you distribute that content, what audiences you target that content with, that's a different sort of conversation altogether. But just making it and putting it out there. At no other time in history have we ever lived where sort of the 
the barriers for entry have been virtually obliterated, you know, to be able to build a platform, build an audience, um, and sort of build content around them that's targeted to them that really appeals to them. Sort of that Seth Godin long tail kind of concept. Here's my question. You know, where, how did you put together the content for self-directed leadership? Um, the chapter that you wrote in that book, how did you put that, that chapter content together? And have you ever thought of sort of expanding that bigger and, and going out a little bit further with that? Okay. Multiple questions. Let's... Multiple questions. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you. I warned you I was going to do multiple questions. <laughs> well, first of all, let me, let me show you. Um, I know the audience can't see me, but I'm holding up two, because uh, Hassan and I are Skyping right now, and I'm holding up two books that my, my chapter is published in. First one is called Tapping Into Your Inner CEO Self-Leadership. This book is written by women, only by women, from around the world. And I believe there are like eight different countries represented and the authors are on the back. This book, it just came out this year, is 101 Great Ways to Compete in Today's Job Market. There are, it's a very thick book, um, and there are a lot of different people in here who are talking about career. And my point about career is that you succeed if you become a leader, regardless of title. And uh, authors such as, uh, and I can't remember his name right now, but the author who wrote What Color Is Your Parachute is in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and several other people, and I'm honored to be one of them. So what happened? How did I come up with the self-directed leadership? Well, as I told you, I was, I, I'm studying and, and have been, I'm a lifelong learner. I guess I better put that out there because I'm not 20 anymore. I've been, I've been studying for a long time. <laughs> you know what, you know, what, Diane, I always tell people, you know what, you have, you, you don't peak until you're a day before you, you got to go see the final leader. So, you know, you, you haven't peaked yet. Not even close. Not even close to peaking yet. I'm climbing that peaking mountain. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. It's just how far, how close to the top. It's almost the closest to the top than others. That's, that's all. Uh, so, uh, as I said, I, I've been studying, and you read a ton of literature on leadership. I mean, everyone's got something to say on it. And it's so it's confusing, right? right. I mean, like there's servant leadership, transactional leadership, transformational leadership, values-based leadership. I mean, you can go on and on. How do you choose? How do you know which one to do? How do you know if you're doing any of them? I mean, it's really confusing. And so is the average person going to go out there and read a compendium of literature on leadership? No, of course not. And so what are they doing to decide on becoming a leader? Most of them are doing what they see other people do. Period. End of story, right? So right. good leaders, some people aren't. So whoever they happen to be watching, they're either going to get a bad a role model or a good role model. So the next thing that happened was I was coaching an executive in an organization who said to me, you know, I have been through all these different leadership seminars and so forth and so on. But, you know, really, what is leadership? No one has been able to define it for me really concisely. And that is a good point because there are a gazillion different uh, definitions of leadership out there. And none of which are the same. Right. Well, I mean, you get you get Peter Drucker, you get Ken Blanchard, you get John Maxwell in a room, and all you're going to have is three. I mean, you're going to have three different definitions coming out of there. So exactly. I'll share with you my favorite leadership quote, by the way. 
And not mm-hmm. from any of those guys, although I, I've read all of them and I admire all of them. Um, but my favorite leadership quote is by Dwight Eisenhower. And I use this with a lot of people that I work with in organizations because his quote says, and I think this is verbatim, but I might be a word or two off. His quote is, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something that you need them to do, and they want to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is so key. And that's what leaders and organizations don't understand. That right. key part is they want to do it. That means they follow willingly. Mm-hmm. Not coerced. <laughs> you know, they follow willingly. And right. So I, I've got all this stuff, and this, this coaching client says this to me, and I'm like, holy cow, you know, there's just a lot of confusion out there, and a lot of people just really don't know what to do and where to start. So if I were going to be a young person and I wanted to start my leadership journey, how would I do it? I thought, you know what, I'm going to take the stuff that I have gleaned that I see over and over and over, that they're common to everyone, and put them together and say, you have to do these things as a fundamental basic to leadership. You can do other things as well, but you have to do these things well. This is the foundation of a good home, if you will, in leadership. Okay, so... I put together self-directed leadership, and like I said, it's been published twice now, and now what I'm doing is testing it for my dissertation. And I'll just briefly tell you what the steps are. There's a little graphic in here. And the steps are, you start with a vision, then your values, what are they? And I have a whole list of values. Then how do you act? How do you behave? You know, because action is really important, and not a lot of people call people on their actions, especially when they're bad. Um, and then your skills and your knowledge. What do you know? What do you bring to the table? If you if you don't know anything, people aren't going to follow you because you have to know what you're talking about. So all of those things bring you trust, okay? You have to have trust because no one's going to willingly follow anyone who they don't trust. Right. Now, all of those together I'll go on to the next step, which is relationship. And I will tell you, in the coaching that I've done, the number one thing that I see that kills a career is the lack of good, supportive relationships. I've seen it so many times. Even though the person can be really skilled, if they don't get along with people, they don't have a good, solid career. I have people keep the worst socially adept people in the world because they're a, they're a technical guru. But you know what they do with them? They put them in a corner, they put them in a closet, and they keep them over there and they don't let people interact with them. And they keep them there and just have them do what it is they do. Well, unless they're Steve Jobs. Right. And, and you know, you know. <laughs> you know, Steve Jobs did not come up through the ranks. He was the start. Had he, right. had he worked at the bottom, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have gotten to the top based on his relationship. You know, so um, so relationship and all of those things that I've just mentioned give you the ability to influence and inspire. Because if you can't influence and inspire people, they will not follow you. Mm-hmm. Of course, then you have to be a role model. And that is are all the things that bring you leadership. 
So those are the foundational pieces that you can read. You can go out there and read as many leadership books as you can get your hands on. And not only the popular literature, like the authors that you mentioned, but the research literature as well. And they all speak to those things fundamentally. So Now, yeah. it, it sounds like with all that, um, you're building towards – I mean, Diane, it sounds like you're building towards a product. You know, you're, it sounds like you're building towards a product and a system um, that you you can sell a la, you know, maybe like a Sally Hogshead or a Pamela Slim or, you know, even a Todd Henry, you know, the accidental creative, you know, that, that kind of that kind of system. Um, have you have you thought about spinning that off into a larger a larger thing? Is that a, a, a future goal for you? Because everything you're talking about here, vision, values, action, skills, knowledge, trust, all that leading into relationship, um, influencing and inspiring. These are all things I've obviously I've heard about from from other individuals and have read about and have absorbed from other individuals, and uh, and I I see work. Um, and I'm fascinated when these things don't work, when, when things are in conflict, and so that's why I'm in the space that I'm in. You're fascinated by how you can get them to work, and I think you need both those things going together, you know, to make something effective. Um, so have you have you considered sort of how you're gonna? And I know you're concerned with your dissertation, and that's a whole that's I mean that's a whole thing in and of itself. But ultimately, in your dissertation, are you gonna like you're gonna launch a product for us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good question. As a matter of fact, last week I just had a conversation with a book publisher. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the dissertation is done, um, you know, a workbook and certainly mm-hmm. workshops. And, you know, I haven't I don't know exactly how they're all going to work out, you know, whether they're teleseminars or, sure, you know, how, however they're going to be. But, yes, absolutely. And. And I have done these programs in person, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I'm not going to be able to do them everywhere. So, yeah, the product would really help me to. <laughs> uh, the thing that I'm, I'm doing is I have a, a new partner, and we're in the process of starting a new business, and that's three-day seminars for women, okay. just for women around the country. We're going to launch our first one in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I'm doing the leadership aspect. My my partner, her name is Bobby Schwartz, and she is an image consultant. So she does the outside, puts the the uh, finishing touches on the outside of the leader, and I hopefully put the finishing touches on the inside of the leader. And then we have a phenomenal lineup of other women who add their specialties along the line. Mm-hmm. And so this will also be a product there as well. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I look forward to seeing that all come together. That sounds like that's going to be awesome. And I know my audience will be really engaged in wanting to see sort of how that how that develops. Well, talk to me about what inspired you, because you talked about inspiration at, at the bottom of everything. What inspired you to go into into leadership? What was the the pinprick? And usually it's a pinprick. It's it's or, you know, with, or as Guy Kawasaki would say, you know, letting a thousand flowers bloom, you know, what was that one thousand and first flower where you said, "Okay, bam, now I'm going to go with this what was the what was the thing that sort of inspired you and launched you um into into where you find yourself currently yeah it it was an interesting thing um my my first master's degree was in communications from Syracuse university so i I did that for I had a, a consulting business as a script writer and a video producer and director, and I worked with a lot of different businesses 
doing that. And then that business kind of died, so I ended up teaching at a community college communications until I got a job in organizational development here locally for a large healthcare system. And I worked there almost 14 years. And through the course of that, I'll tell you, it was a fascinating ride. Because as I look back on it now over those 14 years, when I went to work there, they had just hired or were in the process of hiring a new CEO. And his name uh, was Pete McGinn, and I, and I say was because uh, Pete has, has passed away. But um, he was just an awesome leader. I, I was so inspired by that man. And I was taking the leadership coaching curriculum, and I had to do a paper on leaders comparing and com- contrasting. So I did one on T.J. Watson, and as you know, IBM started here in the Triple Cities. My father was an IBM, or we had even letters from T.J. Watson who, who sent them to the house. And uh, so I compared T.J. Watson with Pete McGinn. So mm-hmm. I had a conversation, an interview with him, and very busy man, huge healthcare system that he's the CEO of. Previously, he was down at Johns Hopkins and uh, came up here, and uh, I thought he'd maybe give me a half an hour to 45 minutes of his time, and I got out of there like two or three hours later. Wow. Yeah. He was he was so generous, and he talked to me like crazy and explained to me all sorts of things. He had a psychology background. He was a psychologist. So he had a real, um, you know, just a vision and a, and a love, a passion for helping people. So one of the things that he started was what we called the Campaign for Excellence at the hospital. And uh, the Campaign for Excellence had three major tenets or goals. It had to make it, number one, a great place to work, number two, a great place uh, to receive care, and number three, a great place to practice medicine. So if it's a great place to work and people are happy working there, Obviously, they're going to give really good care. Right. And I learned that from Pete, and I learned that from being part of that campaign. And in the seven years that we had it, I'll tell you what, I saw an organization change in a positive way possible. Everyone, not everyone, but a huge majority of the people went on board. They embraced it. They, we achieved so many amazing things by hitting like the 99th, 98th percentile nationally in surveys and things. It was, it was so exciting to be a part of that. So when I was talking to Pete, I asked, Pete, I won't say that, I, I won't repeat it, but tell me, why are you really doing the campaign? And I thought he would say, you know, Diane, we have to have a bottom line so that we can continue to serve our community, blah, 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 blah. Right. He said, because I want people to be happy going to work every day. Oh, there you go. There you go. And Yeah. And I got to tell you, he's right. I'm, mm. You only get one day, and that's today. You don't get to repeat it again. And we don't know what our future brings. And if you be happy every morning when you go to work, find something different where you will have joy. Well, and that's what and that's what the new collaborative economy is really about that I, I blog a lot about is, you know, this idea that the things that you're talking about um, in the in the process of, of self-directed leadership, vision, values, action, skills, knowledge, trust, relationship, influence, inspiring, all those kinds of things are, are, are built into 
and, and, and can really work well on these new social platforms that we have and could really serve to change organizations so that people can be happy where they work. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, um, was generosity, and I, I would maybe include that. And I'm not I'm not going to add anything, but generosity, you know, because really that's sort of the top of the mountain. We're just talking about the mountain. That's maybe sort of the top of the mountain is generosity, because you get to that point where you've gotten all those things, and now you can give it away, and you give it away out of a sense of abundance, um, not a sense of not holding on to it out of a sense of scarcity. Um, you know, that's really interesting that you say that because a lot of the leaders that I work with, uh, middle management on up. They are, they hold their power or mm-hmm. they, they think that they're maintaining their power by holding on to their knowledge and they're not generous. Right. You know, it, it's yeah. stingy. This is my turf kind of thing. <laughs> it's in organizations all the time and, and it doesn't help them and it doesn't help the organization and it doesn't help the clients that they either serve or, you know, sell things to. It, it's, and yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you know, you're on your way. I mean, it sounds as though you engaged in intrapreneurship, you know, within an organization and really sort of blossomed there. You, you had a previous background in entrepreneurship and it sounds like you're going to have a future, uh, a future in entrepreneurship. And so you're really living that sort of self-managed, self-directed life. And that's, I mean, that's, that, that's really helpful for, for sort of serving as an example of how these things can work um, at the ground level. Does that mean that every day you feel like this? No, but that means on aggregate, these things are happening and these things are working out for you. So that's, that's great. And you know what, Hassan? Um, in many ways, as a result of working with Pete and under Pete, I mean, I learned so much. It was amazing. He was a great mentor. He didn't know he was my mentor, mm-hmm. uh, but he was, I guess, kind of vicariously or, or from a distance or whatever. But um, I just totally forgot what I was going to say. Well, it's okay. I was going to ask you. <laughs> I was going to ask you another one of my stock questions that I ask all my guests. Wait, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, one of my stock questions is, you know, let's talk about those downs. Let's talk about those valleys. You know, because we talked a lot about peaks. We talked about how to get to peaks. Um, but let's talk about valleys because there aren't any peaks without there being valleys. So in your career, in your time, have you ever had a moment of frustration where you sort of looked around and you're like, you know what? I'm going to pack it all in, and I'm going to go do something else. And, and, and where I draw my inspiration for this question from, I don't know if you've seen the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack. Um, it's a great film. He plays this record store. I just watched it a couple weeks ago with, uh, with my wife. He plays this record store owner, and he's kind of going through a down period. And uh, one of the lines in the film, um, and, and it might be an apocryphal line, I might be, might be cobbling together a bunch of stuff, but it's sort of this idea of, you know, I own my own record store, and it, it's kind of, my life kind of sucks right now. I'll just pack this all in and go work at a Coconuts back when Coconuts was still around, <laughs> you know, or I'll go work at FYE. I'll go work for a big giant organization and go hide there. Um, <laughs> well, have you ever had... gone. well, exactly. Yeah, Coconuts is no longer around. Um, that tells you how old this movie is um, and how old this question is. But have you ever, Diane, have you ever had that moment in your, in your career, in your life, that valley where you were just like, you know what, this isn't working. I got to pack it in. I got to go. I got to go do something else. And then how did you pull yourself out of that to keep going? Well, that's a pretty powerful question for me because 2013 was like my biggest valley I ever hit. It was truly like one of the worst years. I, it was probably the worst year of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it was so because I lost some very significant people in my life. Not just one, not just two, not just three, you know. Um, 
And one of my oldest and dearest friends, my aunt died, and then my mother died. And, 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 and then a cousin died, and currently I have another cousin who mm-hmm. just contacted me and, and said, you know, he's, he's got limited time. So it was a very, very tough year. I, I took um, a leave of absence from everything. Mm-hmm. school from work and everything. And I took care of what I needed to take care of. And mainly uh it was my mom. Um she contracted leukemia. I moved in with her and I was a care provider and I've never done that and I really don't ever really want to do it again. It was very, very difficult, especially for someone that you love, uh, to see the demise of, of the person. Um and you know what, I found that really got me thinking. Mm-hmm. Um my I felt as though my my career. I'm a. I I have no interest in being in management because I'm a practitioner. I right. practice what I do. So. I saw my career as kind of peaking. I I'm you know currently at the the last level you can go in terms of education, and I thought now's the time that I have to do the things that I really want to do. And um, when I when I lost kind of everything that I had here in this area, um, it really made me think. Mm-hmm. The things that made me think about was, as I cleaned out my mother's house, was, you know, why am I working day in, day out? My soul is not being fed daily anymore. You know, I kind of lost that that enthusiasm in that organization. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing that just for stuff that I'm going to buy and the kids are going to give away to the Salvation Army? Right. You know, because that's what we were doing. And when you close out a house, everybody's got a toaster. Everybody's got a microwave. I mean, how many, you know, people just don't need it, don't want it. Right. So it was a very depressing, powerful year for me. And I was already on this path, obviously, for several years, and I just decided, you know, this is kind of the universe writing in great big letters in the sky. You know, it's time. Yeah. Uh, you you took care of everyone in your life. I raised the kids, did all the things, and the last thing I needed to do was take care of my mother. I did it all, and the universe said, okay, kid, it's your time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when that's, I mean, that's powerful stuff. And when the universe talks, you got to listen, you know, you do, you have to, you have to take charge. You have to listen. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let's, um, I do. Let's talk about, yeah, go I ahead. I do remember the one other thing I was going to say. Yes. And, and that was, I wanted to, to also say that, you know, I really believe in self-directed leadership because I think that those are fundamentally like the key things to not only make you a better person, uh, because I found that when I did the work at that organization, I was a better person. One of the things I was was a role model because I was in organizational development. So people saw me doing training and stuff. Well, I better live up to what I'm training, right? Right, yeah. So people saw me that way and made me a better person. I was more accountable. I had to have a commitment in order to do the things that I did. And the so it made me not only a better employee, but it made me a better mother. It made me a better community member. It made me better, period. And I think that when someone goes on this journey of self-directed leadership, 
or whatever they decide to do, they become a better person. Not just yep. for the job, but for it. the ones that they love, their community, everywhere. It's a win-win-win. It's a win-win-win. And you know what? You how how heck as a as a former well I don't even, not even former as a mediator and a person who came comes out of a mediation background. It's it's very very hard. You know, it, almost impossible to get win-win-wins. You know, for everybody where everybody wins and, and nobody loses anything. So if this is one way that that someone can get that, um, absolutely. I mean, that's that's like I said, that's some powerful stuff. Well, let's um, let's switch gears. Let's talk about in our last few minutes here. Let's talk about uh, what you do for fun because it, it's not all you know. I read my thesis and I do my dissertation, and then I go out and I work for this organization and I coach this executive. It's not all that. You know, you're more than the sum of that. And that's really sort of one of the points of this podcast, uh, and that's why I call it Earbud. You, you know, get your knowledge on through your earbuds. So we're going to find out some things about you know who you are, um, your background. But we're also going to find out you know what are the other things that makes you tick because man does not live on. On well, as I said, man does not live on Ken Blanchard and John Maxwell alone. So, what what else? Do you, what do you do for fun? What do you do to shake the cobwebs off? What do you What do you like to do? By the way, I also like Marshall Goldsmith a lot. Okay. Um, but at any rate, what do I like to do? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? Okay, I mean, okay, or you know, maybe it's maybe it's you know, you sit on the couch with chips falling out of your mouth. The Doritos, you just gonna slide off the edge of the couch. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, the sad truth is, is I work too much, and okay, I mean that's the sad truth. And and I remember saying to myself this past year, is Diane, you need to have more fun. Right. Uh, oh, we love we love it when there's live calls yeah, on on the podcast. We do. Point. Okay. <laughs> this is Diane Lang. Oh, yes. Can I call you back? I'm in the middle of something right now. I have someone here. Can I call you right back? And what is your number? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Two, four. Okay. And your name? Very good. Thank you so much for your understanding. I'll call you back in a little bit. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a professional right there. That's a professional. That was a call I was expecting. Um, okay, so what do I do I, for fun? Right now, not much. I don't have much fun, and and that's the sad truth. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am doing several things. I'm working on the new business, as I shared with you. I am working on the dissertation, as I shared with you, and I am working on my house. To put it up for sale to move to Florida. So I'm really busy. But mm-hmm. I absolutely love working on houses. I mean, it really does feed my soul. Um, I love decorating. I love, you know, doing the projects and have it go from this to that. And mm-hmm. the over of the house, I, I really enjoy that. So that is a lot of fun for me. The other thing is that I, of course, love my children. And I and I love spending time with them. I have a brother and sister in law here in town, and and I love spending time with them as well. And the other thing is travel. I love travel. I am really hoping that that within the near future I get to travel a whole lot. Um, this year I went to 
Dominican Republic for Christmas. I went to Dallas. I went to Orlando. I went to uh, Fort Lauderdale, and I went to St. Pete. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. I, I good. can travel. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, every entrepreneur that I've interviewed, um, every thought leader that I've interviewed so far for the podcast, um, I've asked them, you know, what do you do for fun? And, uh, you know, some will admit to having hobbies. Some will admit to having no hobbies. I found myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I have to get hobbies. <laughs> you know, I got I got to find ways to, to sort of cut out my time um, and really just say, yeah, you know, I'm going to take time to, to sort of re-energize because you can. You can get really, really dialed in on your stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's stuff to bring in the money and pay the mortgage, as you said, you know, earlier and buy more stuff, buy another toaster, right? Um, or, or, you know, upgrade the toaster you've got, right? But, or, you know, hey, put braces on the kid's teeth, you know, but at a certain point, like you said, how many toasters can you buy? What is that? What is that? Is, is the kid going to have crooked teeth or are you going to spend quality time with them? You know, <laughs> or, or can you do both at the same time? You know, um, and how does that, how does that look? So I have to develop hobbies myself. So I'm always fascinated sort of for, for successful folks, um, what does that look like for them, um, and how do they how do they navigate that? Um, and it's it's rare that you'll find a you'll find a professional say you know what I don't I don't know I got to get some you know I got to get some hobbies you know like Richard Branson I think he um, he does dangerous stuff he like parachutes off the top of his own hotels or some nonsense. <laughs> yeah, you won't ever find me doing that kind of stuff. I I have a very wise daughter, and uh, she said to me, you know, Mom, I don't want to spend my money on things anymore. And she used to be a shopaholic, and she loved her clothes and her Gucci and her all that stuff. Um, But she said, I don't want to spend my money on stuff anymore. I wanted to spend it on experiences. Ah, there you go. Um, I think she's right on the money, and I think, uh, yeah, that's where my that's where my passion is. is going other places, seeing other things. You know, I, I haven't seen it enough. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today um, here on Earbud U. We appreciate it, and I know my audience does as well. We love it when we get when we get to get real with our with our guests and really find out what makes them tick. So thank you. Um, is there anything? Um, I, I know you talked about a lot of projects. You like you said, you're very very busy. But is there anything specifically? Um, coming out here um, soon that you'd like to promote today um, at all? Um, Really just the business. I don't know when this is going to air, nor do I know when we're going to have our first seminar, but it it will be located on Women Launch... Just a sec. Yeah. Hello? Speaking. Confirming an appointment. Oh, that's okay. Sorry about that. Um, Oh, so, edit point. Mm -hmm. I used to, you know, do video editing on the... (laughs) Yeah. The only thing I would want to mention is that, you know, I'm not quite sure when this is going to air, and I'm not quite sure when our first seminar is going to be. Uh-huh. We're going to be able to be found at launchingwomentosuccess.com. Okay. Okay. So that's going to be our next big thing. 
next big thing. Excellent. We, we love hearing about the next big thing here at Earbud U. Once again, we'd like to thank Diane Lang today, uh, owner and founder of Proclivity Inc., and uh, a great, like I said, passionate speaker, trainer, researcher, and, uh, and thought leader here in the southern tier of New York State. Um, please be sure to follow Earbud U on Twitter, at Earbud U. Um, also, you can connect with us on Instagram, also at Earbud U. And please, tell your friends about the show. Please, hey, promote it, um, continue to share it, pass it around, and let it grow. You can connect with us um, on Facebook, uh, Human Services Consulting and Training page on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page. And you can, of course, connect with me, your host, Hassan Sorrells, on Twitter, at Sorrells79. And once again, thank you for listening to Earbud U, and you have a great and fabulous day.